Leviticus 4, 1 through 6, 7. These are God's words. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of Yahweh and anything that ought not to be done, and does any of them if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to Yahweh for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering, He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before Yahweh, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before Yahweh. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before Yahweh in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before Yahweh, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bowl of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall bring them on, sorry, sorry, shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and awful, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out. It shall be burned. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they have done something against any of the commandments of Yahweh in anything which should not be done and are guilty. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for a sin, for the sin, and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before Yahweh and the bull. Then the bull shall be killed before Yahweh. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before Yahweh in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before Yahweh, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar. And he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering, Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of Yahweh his God in anything which should not be done and is guilty, 
Or if his sin, which he has committed, comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before Yahweh. It is a sin offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of Yahweh and anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering, Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to Yahweh. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering. At the place where they kill the burnt offering, the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to Yahweh. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches Any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, Whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to Yahweh for his sin, which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to Yahweh for his trespass, which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering. 
And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. And the rest, sorry, it is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. But if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sins shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion, and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to Yahweh. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of Yahweh, then he shall bring to Yahweh as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with, it, with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering, and he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of Yahweh, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty. Though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against Yahweh. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against Yahweh by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to Yahweh, a ram without blemish from the flock, 
with your evaluation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before Yahweh, and it shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Well, the book of Leviticus has been marvelous so far. We, um, we ended the book of Exodus with a tabernacle now planted in the wilderness, Eden, uh, as it were, or this hybrid of Eden and heaven uh, planted in the wilderness and the glory of God filling it. And yet there was a great problem at the end of Exodus uh, because we hadn't been restored to Genesis 2 where man was able to know God uh, in the display of his glory. We're only restored to the end of Genesis 3 where paradise was there, but Moses was shut out. And this book began with something very different than the end of Genesis 3. Yahweh called to Moses from the midst of the tabernacle. And he is giving him the way in which we may come near, in which, well, no, we come in a better way than that which was given to Moses. Uh, but he's giving Moses the way in which Israel can come near. God's people can come near to him. And so far we've seen the three main uh, offerings or brought near things. Uh, you remember what the, uh, what the wicked children told their parents who were needy uh, about the uh, money they needed. Oh, that's korban. Uh, well, that actually comes from the verb for drawing near, karab. Uh, and karban is, the, is a word uh, often when we have the word offering in our translation. It either isn't there at all, uh, and it's being added to the ascension or the tribute or, uh, or the peace, or in this case, the sin. Or it's this word, karban, uh, the brought near thing. Uh, and every time you hear the word offering, if, if, we, if we could have translated it more literally, we would hear over and over again throughout this whole book the brought near thing, the brought near thing, or even the brought near one, the brought near one, and hear God saying he's bringing us near. Our sin has put us out so that we can't endure the presence of his glory, and his glory can't endure the presence of us. But now he has solved all that, and we can come near. And the first, the first sacrifice, which... For we, well, we know why they translated a whole burnt offering, but it's just the word ascension, saying that when God is bringing his people near, he is bringing his people near, not only in proximity to the thing on earth that represents his presence, but he's displaying to us the ascension of the person to God, which sounds like blasphemy until Christ descends and we know that we go with him. And so the first thing that's usually called the whole burnt offering is really the ascension. And in the second place, the tribute. And it's called grain offering, but the word doesn't have anything to do with grain. It's that which your king has assigned to you as the token that he is your king and he is your subject, that, uh, that you are established in this relationship together. So he's given us not only to ascend, but to ascend with token in hand that we're glad to be ruled by him. And he is glad to rule us. And then in third place, the peace offering, which is just the peace, you remember. And this amazing offering 
in which the portion that is God's, the fatty parts, uh, parts which make uh, a featured reappearance now in the sin and trespass offering, that is burned, or as the verb really is, transformed into smoke so that, uh, it, may be, uh, so that it may ascend. But we get to eat from the king's table. So great is the reconciliation been that God eats the fat parts and he shares the, the rest of the meat with the worshiper. Uh, and so we have the ascension and the tribute and the peace. But there's just one problem. What about if we come and we have a guilty conscience? What about if we have sinned? Or as is the case many times uh, in the passage that we just read, we did something that, that at the time we didn't realize we were doing it. And we realize later we've done it and it's a sin. Or we did something that we didn't realize at the time was a sin and maybe even now the does not know it in uh, chapter 5 and verse 17. Uh, and even now, but we have that troubled conscience. How can we come before God if we have a guilty conscience? And God gives them to come, not with a defiled heart. He gives them now, in the portion that we read, the sin offering, or the trespass offering, which is just a subcategory. We read it several times in the trespass offerings. It would say it is a sin offering. We'll hear next week. It's governed by the same laws as uh, as the sin offering. He gives them an offering by which to come, not just with, uh, with body undefiled and ceremonially clean, but with conscience undefiled. A sin offering for taking away their actual guilt before God and their felt guilt before the face of God. And this is something, of course, uh, that the Lord does for us. How can we come needs to such near worship, this wonderfully near worship that the Lord has provided if we are sinners and we keep sinning and we have guilty consciences? The Lord holds before us the death and, uh, and atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and the signs that show us our union with him. And so just as chapter 9 and verse 22, making reference not only to the Day of Atonement, which is the greatest of all sin offerings, uh, and uh, would come once a year for the nation, uh, but in reference to all of the offerings that took away guilt and cleansed from sin, that consecrated the different parts of worship, he says, and according to the law, this is Hebrews 9.22, almost all things are purified with blood. I love that almost, because the thing that makes it almost was actually in our reading. It's a tiny little thing. It's a tenth of an ephah of flour. But that's because even very, very poor people have guilty consciences. And so if that's all they could afford and it didn't have any blood in it, it was brought as a sin offering, looking forward to Christ, who of course has the blood of God in him, according to Acts chapter 20. Almost all things are purified with blood. 
and without shedding of blood there is no remission. And then this specific instruction that, uh, as I mentioned before the worship began uh, this morning, something that will really help you when we're having that moment of preparation. And I hope you don't wait until that moment of preparation, but if, it's, if you have a guilty conscience right up until that moment, then please deal with it then. But we should really deal with our conscience immediately upon the realization of any sin before God. But listen to this wonderful portion, and we'll read it again at the end, but just having uh, the scripture itself ringing in your ears from Leviticus. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Is a glorious provision that God has given us in the gospel, but not just in the gospel. In the New Testament signs, in the New Testament signs, we'll come back to the Lord Jesus as priest uh, at the end. But uh, we see throughout our passage then uh, all this service and the removal of the guilt of the conscience in order, in order that the worshiper might then uh, participate or draw near by means of the ascension and the tribute and the peace. Well, the first thing we see is the great problem of guilt. The second thing we'll see is that there are instances of more harmful guilt. And then the third, the third thing that we'll see is that there is guilt against that which is sacred and therefore requires uh, restitution. And in all of these things, uh, we'll, we'll notice some things and then we'll come back to our own priest and his own pouring and sprinkling, and smearing. Well, he really just does pouring. Uh, But to our own priest, and how by the pouring of his spirit, he applies to us himself from heaven. And he's given us another pouring, now not blood, but water, but so that that we may have presented to us on earth the reality of what he does from heaven, so that our hearts may be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And we can come knowing that, yes, even this past week's sin, even this past week's guilt, even the things that I have done that have created this distance, uh, really on my side between me and God, that is washed in the blood of Jesus, which was shed, poured out once for all. So first, the, pro- the problem, the great problem of guilt. Uh, the guilt is there already when, uh, when you commit a sin unintentionally. Uh, but then when you realize that you have committed a sin, you feel the guilt. And sadly, there are many people who will try to heal lightly your wound. When you realize that you've sinned against God, many of us, 
grew up worshiping God in ways that were invented by men. Many of us grew up keeping feasts that Jesus never invented. And one of the things that kept us from realizing how wrong that was is that we didn't have the wherewithal to come to terms with it. It's unintentional or we don't know it. There are other things that people do. Some learn to babble in church and call it the Holy Spirit, which is a great blasphemy. And some of us have actually done that in times past. And we can feel the great weight of something that we have done intentionally or unthinkingly. More regularly, more currently for us, we realize what we have done in depriving our families of the worship morning and evening, day by day, or what we have done in coldness to our wife or harshness with our children, things that we may just kind of on autopilot end up doing from our flesh and then we come to worship God and we realize there's this guilt on us and how can I worship God now? Unintentional sin is still sin. And when we realize it, we don't need someone to say, oh, you didn't know. Oh, you meant well. No, we need someone to say, there is atoning blood for that. Yes, it's sin. Don't heal someone's sin lightly because God knows better. And even harder for them in the moment, their conscience knows better. And you can try to, to, to make them feel a little bit better about it by saying, oh, well, you meant well, or you, you really didn't know, or whatever. And yet they will, they will feel like, I, I want to feel better about it like they're telling me, but I still feel at this guilt. Well, you can't atone for their sin. But the Lord Jesus has. And so it's wonderful to be able to say, There's blood for that. It is washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even in the case we mentioned already, chapter 5 and verse 17, where we're uncertain even now that it was a sin. I've done this thing. My conscience is troubled about it. I'm not even sure if it's a sin. I might be in the situation that 1 John talks about where where my heart accuses me, but God is greater than my heart. And he might also be accusing me, and he might not be. But as, uh, as we know from Romans 14 and, and verse 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so if in the moment I had something and I wasn't sure, I felt it might be okay, and I kind of talked myself into it, it might be. Okay, according to God's law. I don't know that it's a sin, but it's the very fact that I didn't know and I did it that made it a sin. And God provides atonement for that in the sin offering. And what we have here is God giving priests who do their job over and over again throughout this passage. We, we read, so the priest shall make atonement for him. God has given us representatives who, repre- who present us to him and, and who take the, the, the blood that we have identified with ourselves and we have 
killed the substitute our, uh, ourself and the priest takes that blood and the priest applies it. He, he smears it on the horns of the altar and he pours it out on the base of the altar. Or if it's a bird and there's not enough blood, he kind of splashes the side of the altar and pours out anything that's left of, uh, at the base of the altar. And if it's grain, there's no, there's no blood at all. But he's provided, it's God's priest with God's prescribed offering, uh, with God's pre- prescribed procedure and the application of blood that, as it were, reconsecrates the altar and makes us acceptable to worship God. And what's wonderful is when the, when the priest has done that, he then takes the fat. He takes the fat from the substitute and he puts it on the altar. And the fat goes up just like it did in the peace. And I know that God is as reconciled with me. I am as reconciled with God as I am at the end of the peace offering in the moment that the sin offering has been applied. It's a sweet aroma to him. Now, in the case of others, when the priest is doing this for someone who is not a priest or is not the whole congregation, then the priest actually gets the flesh. We cannot have the flesh because we came and, uh, and there was a judicial death that uh, had to die. We are disqualified uh, from, uh, from eating that, that flesh on earth. We have not uh, uh, ascended as in the ascension uh, offering. But God's great provision, one of God's great provisions then in the sin offering, isn't just in the substitute. It's in the priest that he consecrated who performed this service. This is one of the reasons why going to confession and having priests in the church on earth is such an offense to God. Because Jesus now does this for us. And he was sacrificed once for all. And his sin offering is applied to us by his spirit whom he poured out. And so we offend Christ and we offend the once for all sacrifice and we offend the pouring out of the Holy Spirit instead of the pouring out of blood and we offend the ministry of the Holy Spirit who applies to us by faith the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a small thing to think that we can go have our conscience cleared by a priest on earth. But God did at one point have priests on earth, didn't he? Whom he provided for this great service. And uh, when we get to the portions that the priests can have, we'll see that other other, uh, flesh or, or grain that the priests may have are divided equally over the priests. But in this particular case, There's such a provision of God by the specific priest who makes the specific application of the sin offering that that one gets the remaining flesh that may be boiled and uh, and eaten in the tabernacle premises. When you hear God has provided a priest, you know how that sounds in your Christian ears, doesn't it? Yes. He provided me his son not from the tribe of Levi, but from the tribe of Judah, whose priesthood doesn't have a beginning or an end, but is eternal like the priesthood of Melchizedek. He has provided his son 
and his son is pleased to receive me as a reward. And by the time his son is done dealing with my sin, I am as pleasing to him as the peace offering was. So there's the great problem of guilt. One more, one last thing before we move on to the more harmful guilt. You notice that you have the active voice over and over again with the priest shall make atonement for his sin, but then it switches to the passive when it says, it shall be forgiven him. The priest has been given a procedure by which atonement is made. But the priest doesn't do the forgiving. It is an unbelievable blasphemy that there are priests in so-called churches who will say to the people of God, my son, your sins are forgiven you. No, the Pharisees were right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And even in the language of the sin offering that's communicated to us, the priest shall atone for his sin, but then passive because it's God alone and not the priest who's doing it, and it shall be forgiven him. And of course, that tells you who Jesus is, doesn't it? Because he could say, my son, your sins are forgiven. And those who knew that only God could do it were offended. But Jesus, who wanted them to know that he is that great son of man, that great forever king that was promised as authority, as God and man, is an upgrade on anything that Ezekiel or Daniel could ever think of. That he had authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he does other things that only God can do. But Jesus forgives our sin. Jesus is our God. And Jesus is our priest. So he does both. He does the consecrating and propitiating. And he also does the forgiving. Well, that is the sin offering in general. Just a couple of things then and the harmful guilt and the guilt against the sacred. There's more harmful. There's a more harmful guilt when it's a priest who's committed the sin. This is how chapter 4 began. Uh, it's, uh, it starts with the anointed priest sinning. And we really find out the reason why it's uh, such a great sin when we get to the second part and it's the whole congregation having sinned and we realize that when the priest sins because he's the one who leads God's people uh, in worship uh, and because he's the one who represents the people to God he brings guilt upon the whole congregation the one who is administering the ascension and the tribute and the peace the one who is administering sin offerings for others he is going to bring guilt into all of his administering of God's mercy to God's people. And that's why the blood in that case isn't just smeared on the altar, the horns of the altar outside and poured at the base of the altar outside, but it's actually brought in. And because the, they could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year and couldn't actually go to the mercy seat, the blood is then splattered before the veil right at the threshold of the Holy of Holies 
Now, praise God, we will never again have a priest who sins. Because we have our great high priest. But let fathers and elders, let ministers take heed of the great obligation for maintaining a clean conscience that belongs to those who lead God's people in worship who administer the means by which God has given us to draw near to him. Lest we make our family worship an offense to God. Lest we make our public worship an offense to God. There are many ways we can do that. One of the reasons that we worship only in the way that God has commanded us to do is because only God can decide what worship is. And if we decide what worship is, we make our worship an offense to God. But you can also make your worship an offense to God by coming in the prescribed things with a defiled conscience. And so how necessary it is for those who lead God's people spiritually in uh, in the public worship to maintain a clear conscience, to make use of the Lord Jesus. And then there's corporate guilt. When the congregation is guilty as a whole, their worship is rejected. Uh, We don't have time to run through uh, Isaiah and other prophets that explain how offensive the worship of God's people had become to them because they were under guilt of corporate sin. And so it was like trampling his courts and, um, uh, and the singing was just offensive noise and the whole thing was a foul thing, an abomination to God. Churches can commit corporate guilt. There's uh, several letters among the seven that the Lord Jesus himself sends to the churches in Turkey in Revelation 2 and 3 that warn them that they are corporately guilty. And then there's federal guilt, and this is very subtle in the text, but you notice the difference between the sin offering of a ruler and the sin offering of a person of the land or common person as it's translated for us in in chapter 4 verse 27 and that is the ruler offers a male and the common person offers a female and that's because the ruler must remember that as a representative and as an assigned leader of as a federal head over uh, some people in the civil sphere that they offend God, uh, not only as themselves, but as a public person. And so there's more harmful guilt. Then there's guilt against the sacred. Guilt against the sacred. Uh, If they commit a sin against the worship things, the holy things uh, of the Lord, the priest is to come up with a value judgment uh, on the harm done and whatever they have committed against the holy thing, and then they are to bring not only that amount, but add 20%, add one-fifth, and only when uh, when the one plus one-fifth is given, then the sin offering can be offered. And it's very helpful that the end of chapter 5 is actually tied with the beginning of chapter 6, because it helps us understand the Eighth Commandment. The holy things are holy because they belong to God. But God has assigned to men their property also. And there is a way in which they are, if you'll allow us to go capital S, little s, then a man's property is little s sacred to him. Uh, And therefore, whenever he has been uh, cheated out of 
there's been some sort of uh, willful uh, cheating of him. Uh, not only does full restitution need to be made, uh, but there is that extra fifth that also must be restored. And they're actually not even allowed to come do a sin offering until they have made their restitution plus one-fifth. Because God has assigned that which is sacred to him and that which is sacred to each one. Well, those are some special cases, but uh, the great thing is the provision of a priest, the provision of a, uh, of a procedure by which the worshiper with a guilty conscience is able to come before God. And it goes without saying, um, although we'll say it, uh, that, if, uh, that if this was necessary in the case of an unintentional sin or a sin in which you weren't sure, how much more when we have sinned willfully? But do then consider when your conscience is guilty and when you're ready to come to worship, and whenever you're ready to come to worship, guilty conscience or not, consider your baptism that the Lord has provided for you a priest who is your own son, and he pours out not blood, but his spirit, and his spirit applies Christ to you. And that when the water was poured out on earth, it was a sign that points you to the true Christian baptism, which is not the pouring of the water on earth. The true Christian baptism is Jesus pouring the, the Spirit from heaven. And he wants you to be so sure that he does that to all who believe in him, that that's the only way you could ever come to believe in him. If you haven't believed in him yet, dear children, and it's the only way you ever did come to believe in him. All of you who believe in him and have professed your faith and praise God for that. And the one who poured out his spirit has shed blood once and for all that cleanses your conscience. And so whenever you realize you've sinned, come, remember your water baptism by which you remember Jesus pouring out his spirit and cling to Jesus Christ as the priest who has made atonement for you and because he's the priest who's not just man but God has forgiven you. God did make provision for his people that a guilty conscience wouldn't keep them from the worship. But our sin offering is better than their sin offering. And so let us maintain a clean conscience by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the provision that you have made. We pray that you would give us the ministry of your spirit to remember your word, that this portion of your word would take root in our hearts and bear fruit so that we would be unwilling to come and worship with defiled consciences, we pray that you would give us to develop skill in the habit of maintaining a clear conscience through the embrace of Christ freshly, newly, every time we realize that we have sinned. We pray that you would give us to worship as those whose hearts are sprinkled clean of an evil conscience and bodies have been washed with pure water and that you would enable us then to come with boldness
through the new and living way that Jesus is, uh, that is his flesh. We thank you for the supper as well, in which Jesus broken uh, to us for the benefits of his flesh. Jesus' blood poured out, represented in the pouring of the cup. Affirm us and gladden us. Help us, O Lord, to to live in light of the knowledge of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the part that this portion of your word does in filling out for us the knowledge of him. Bless it to us, we pray in his name. Amen.